Hello, welcome to the Affairs Current Podcast. My name is Carter Vance, your host as always. Our email is theaffairscurrent at gmail.com. Our blog, theaffairscurrent.blogspot.com. Coming to you for the long-delayed uh, final concluding episode of our 2020 music list. Um, you know, there was the initial delay, uh, pandemic caused. There was a delay caused by the fact that I had to get my appendix removed. Um, and then there was, you know, some other additional delays. But we won't dwell on that too much. Uh, we are here to conclude out our records of the year list. Uh, with myself and who do I have uh, in person uh, recording this time. Uh, so you may notice a different timbre to the audio, which uh, is hopefully uh, better than normal. And he has a directional and compressing microphone. Uh, who do I have uh, on, on the other end of said microphone to discuss this with me? Well, we've got the uh, Affairs Currents music correspondent, Isaac, here back again to round out our list. And I'm very excited to be uh, recording in person with something approximating an actual podcast setup yes yes we're we're slowly moving towards that uh who knows in five years we might actually have a compressor uh don't bet on it but maybe um anyway so you if you've been listening you already know the drill uh we're already on to our fifth uh our fifth best uh records of the year uh from 2020 um and just to recap um my number uh six through 10 through six number 10 fake it flowers by viva doobie uh, number 9, Lament by Touche Amore. Number 8, Teenage Halloween self-titled debut record. Uh, number 7, How I'm Feeling Now by Charlie XCX. And number 6, Do You Wonder About Me by Diet Sig. Uh, so I'll move on and start us with uh, my number 5, Heaven to a Tortured Mind by Yves Tuber. Um, so, Heaven to a Tortured Mind, uh, which I did talk about in our mid-year list, is really a record that for me uh, encapsulates where I think Yves Tuber in the past has been a little bit too noisy, a little bit too abstract, an artist that I've watched for a while and um, certainly been intrigued by the work they were doing, uh, but didn't fully click with me. I think uh, what this record and the EP that they that they just recently put out um, really has impressed upon me is the fact that uh, this is uh, an artist who is moving in a direction of having um, these noisy, psychedelic type of ideas, but put in a more um, anthemic, more I don't want to say consumable necessarily, but certainly a more pop-forward sort of package. And to me, this record really worked. It was a record where um, basically you have this kind of merger of kind of what I, what I like to refer to as bad trip psychedelia. Um, and, you know, this is not the sort of sunshine, lovey, rainbows type of stuff, but rather the kind of like bad acid, sort of bent, crooked um, interpretations of, you know, late 60s psychedelic music. Um, along with some electronic elements um, and pieces uh, that kind of derive from the late 80s sort of no-wave trends, um, the noise and the texture there, but really put into uh, a package where it really does have a lot of hooks, it has a lot of interesting um, ideas, melodies, um, that kind of are often layered on top of each other in a very interesting way. Um, And I think unlike a lot of artists who are playing in this space, this really is fully formed songs that then these elements are kind of layered and woven within rather than being just sort of noise and kind of abstraction for its own sake. Um, as I said previously, Yves Tumor I've been a little bit hot and cold on, um, like some of their tracks, not others. I think this is the first time for me anyway where the entire album really hangs together. Um, I did say a lot about the record in the, in the mid-year list, but I will just recap to say that there's a lot of great horn sections on this record. There's a lot of great sort of interesting guitar work 
there's a lot of great sort of intermingling um, and kind of the use of stretching and fracturing of vocal techniques um, with electronic elements throughout the record. Um, just a very fascinating, occasionally dark record, um, but one that I felt really pushed Eve's tumor um, in a very interesting new direction. I love the new EP from this year as well when we do get you know, eventually to our 2021 half-year list or year list. We'll talk about that as well, I'm sure. Um, but this is a, a great record and definitely uh, makes me even more eager to, to hear what Eve's tumor is going to be coming up with next. Yeah, I mean, it's one that I really liked. It was it came a bit earlier on my list and uh, not necessarily uh, on the basis of any deficit of the record, but just because there were some other records I thought maybe hit more on a song-by-song basis. But just to kind of add up quickly, add on to what you said, I think what really distinguishes Eve Tumor for me is, like you said, the like the, the strong base of songwriting, but woven in um not just the kind of texture and arrangement but also uh like the programming and the rhythms even for relatively more straightforward songs or ballads always have just kind of a little bit of detail or vitality that really kind of it keeps you coming back it it makes the music kind of not sound regular it makes it stand out yeah and i think actually it's good that you point that out there's some interesting sort of polyrhythmic elements on here as well, um, even layered throughout the the more the slower songs um, that really cause them to hit a lot more effectively. Um, yeah, so your number five then. Uh, my number five record is uh, a long gestating collaboration and one that might have gone under the radar for some people, and that's the uh, collaborative hip-hop uh, album be- with uh, Boldy James and Sterling Tolls, um, Manger on McNichols. And this is a bit of a, I think, maybe a curveball pick for the top five, and certainly maybe the the Fleet Foxes album or the Eve's Tumor album might kind of be a more song, might have more songs that kind of work on an individual level or uh, might, you know, have that kind of crispness of production and songwriting. But this is a record that I think really kind of distinguished itself in how it worked as... Um, you know, not just uh, a triumph musically, and this is, I guess I've kind of uh, gone about it the wrong way, but the way this album was assembled uh, was a bit unusual in that uh, the verses were laid down almost, I think, well, now more than 10 years ago, and uh, then the music was like slowly and meticulously crafted out of sampling of live instrumentation and then layered together to form the backing tracks. So kind of... Um, in the inverse of the normal way you kind of throw an album like that together and what that does is it kind of it puts the storytelling and uh, the persona of Boldy James who I think had quite a strong 2020 with two very strong albums and some solid mixtapes in bringing like a very like precise very unaffected but uh, very like clear and uh you know, um, visceral storytelling. And uh, even though it might not be the most versatile, I think definitely um, just sort of uh, there's something kind of hypnotic or uh, like, a, like a hypnotizing effect that that kind of laid back approach, if you kind of let it wash over you, brings. And I think that uh, what Sterling Tolls has been able to do is sort of counter 
balance that and have a, like a very organic very rich production that is more dynamic than what you normally see uh from you know any sort of record that isn't taking like years and years to patch everything together and really has some although uh you know there's always these kind of details or little anecdotes that flesh out uh Baldi's music and make it kind of stand out from you know normal kind of coke raps or you know growing up in um a rough area but kind of really acting as sort of like a, a testament and maybe not a love letter, but but certainly a, a document of, you know, the city of Detroit and uh, the experience of people who are living on the outside of it. So, you know, maybe not the most kind of immediately uh, enjoyable album of the hip-hop album of the year, but I think probably the most singular and definitely uh, a real uh, achievement that people who are interested in uh, kind of the the interplay between very like stripped down direct street uh, inflected hip-hop and jazz rap should uh, check out I'll uh, be honest and say that I did hear about this record but I didn't listen to it and I, I guess if I can if I can plot a little bit um, this idea of you know the 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 the, vo- the vocal elements being recorded about 10 years ago and then the uh, you know, the instrumentation being kind of pieced together from these live elements recorded over time. Um, I, I guess I would ask two questions about it, because it seems intriguing, but it seems like something that could come off maybe a little bit gimmicky or a little bit patched together. Um, do you think, firstly, do you think it overcame that um, that maybe limitation? But then I guess maybe, do you, do you feel like there was any sense of the, the rap, like the verses themselves being dated at all, or... Do you feel that like it was? It's kind of one of these sort of t- uh, variations on timeless themes type of thing. Well, I think it's kind of too like I think it's noticeable in that like if you were to listen to something that Boldy recorded in 2020 or 2019 versus something that he recorded in 2010 or 2011, you'd be able to hear it. But I don't think that makes the music less compelling. I mean, I think that there's like more of a like a raw emotionality and hunger that maybe comes through more that you wouldn't get. But um, I would say, honestly, the main reason that it's on my list and why I would encourage people to check it out is how well that stitching does. And I think I've done a bad job of selling it. It's not kind of purely live instrumentation. There's also, you know, there's sampling, there's chops, there's vocal interludes. Like, it's quite, it's sort of stitched together. I think, honestly, although it isn't quite as, you know, narrative, it's more... Uh, sort of a mix of, um, well, although and in, in it actually predates them in terms of writing, but albums like Good Kid, Mad City, or Summertime '06, maybe closer to Summertime '06 in that it's not you know a cohesive narrative, but um, it has that uh, it has that level through interludes and like a strong sense of ident- sonic identity that it really doesn't seem disjointed. Mm. Okay, well that's that's good to know, and I mean I think particularly when a lot of these sort of um, projects where you're moving, where the vocals and the instrumentals are not recorded, you know, maybe not simultaneously, but um, around the same time period uh, when people are reaching back into their archives. Sometimes that does come off as a bit pasted together, but it's good to know that, that this one didn't. Um, so my number four, then, it's, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you mentioned when you were talking uh, this record, uh, but it is Shore by Fleet Foxes. Um, so, yeah, I... 
have been so Fleet Foxes for me. Um, I was not as much of a fan as of Crack Up as I as I know Isaac was, um, and I know a lot of people were. Um, for me, you know, it's the previous record. For me, um, I really liked Fleet Foxes' debut record, like Helplessness Blues. Crack Up to me felt um, at points sort of impenetrable lyrically, and a bit so much. Um, almost like it was holding the listener at a distance to a certain degree, whereas what I've liked about Fleet Foxes previously um, has been the emotionality of it, has been this sense of sonic warmth um, and adventurousness. Um, and I think that on shore, even though it isn't quite as bright sonically as certainly their debut record or even elements of uh, Helplessness Blues, um, the reason that I, th I felt this was much less of a sort of deliberately difficult record compared to Crack Up, but that doesn't mean that it's any less um, any less intellectually intriguing, lyrically, um, and it also doesn't mean it's any less inventive sonically. So where, where I think the record really succeeds is the sense that it does start with a sort of folk rock instrumental palette, but it really has a very expansive scope to it, um, a lot of instrumental sort of interludes, a lot of sort of um, just a very wide range of, of sonic identities that are coming from not a, not a whole lot of instruments, um, but managing to sort of get these very different sonic characters out of them and getting these very different sort of moods that all kind of ultimately all kind of add up um, to this feeling of, you know, as the, the record's title, Shore, um, it really does feel like sort of staring out at um, a kind of expanse or a of an unknown horizon, and you know, a lot of the lyrics speak about this as well, this sense of trepidation, this sense of um, things moving in a direction that you're not really sure about, um, and I think, you know, even though a large parts of it were obviously recorded before, um, I do think that there's something, you know, speaking in the, in the times um, to, to, the, to what the record is, is uh, about lyrically as well, um, but beyond that, um, just great vocals on the record. Um, I think there is a bit more of a focus on the on the individual vocals on this record as opposed to some of the other um, Fleet Foxes where you had more of a choral effect. Um, you know, your mileage may vary which you prefer. Um, personally, I think for this record where it does seem a little bit more direct, a little bit more um, pared down almost um, in certain ways for, compared to Crack Up, um, I do think that that was an appropriate um, way of going about it. Um, and yeah, overall, just a, a great record from Fleet Foxes, one that um, kind of puts them back into um, what I would say <coughs> is a contention of being a, a really great band to me. Um, Crack Up, again, I was, um, not to say it was a bad record, but it was a record that frustrated me, um, but this one really brought me back into the fold. Um, and I think if you are, you know, in the market for something, and it's certainly a late period uh, album by, by an indie rock band, um, so, you know, maybe it, it might not have the energy or the kind of youthful vigor, for lack of a better term, that their debut did, but I think that there is a maturity to the record um, and a sense of scope to it um, that I really responded to. Yeah, I would just sort of agree with uh, everything you said about the album, and again, this was one that we agreed on, but was just slightly lower down my list, I think, because... Maybe I, I could have used almost a, a bit more variation. Like, it, it is well-balanced, and I think the songwriting is consistent, but I, I think it's maybe uh, lacking just a few left turns to really kind of... To, to stand along with Fleet Fox's best, which, you know, we kind of disagree how many albums there are in that list. But I think it's certainly 
you know, adds to their resume as one of the most consistent bands working, certainly in terms of songwriting and like you said, and what I think really, um, you know, distinguishes them time after time, which is, uh, you know, the the quality of, of Robin's songwriting, both in terms of vocal melodies and in terms of the ability to uh, sort of touch on larger uh, themes or, you know, bring in an emotional resonance with kind of very simple, direct songwriting, which really shines here in a way that I think it maybe hasn't since the debut, and that's uh, quite to the record's strength. Um, and it's sort of, uh, it's an excellent, I think maybe a counterbalance to crack up in that it, it, um, it brings in, uh, the new kind of like focus and, and clarity of vision and high, higher fidelity of light stage fleet foxes, but it, um, tries to kind of bring things full circle back to the kind of more pastoral straightforward, uh, sort of ambitions of of their earlier stuff so i mean i think it's why if, if you haven't if you listen to our podcast and you haven't listened to it i think you should absolutely go out there and listen to it and i think it's uh quite easily one of the best albums of last year okay so your number four then my number four is another one you brought up and uh we don't compare notes on these otherwise we might have had to settle whether or what like what category it actually belonged in but uh it was your uh, best song of the last year uh, in my number four album slot, which is the album Microphones in 2020, which is, of course, all one song. And this was sort of a difficult one for me to characterize because I think that, uh, you know, how it can be ranked against sort of the, the any of the albums that we've talked about either in the last episode or the ones we've just mentioned so far. Uh it doesn't really line up with any of those. It isn't sort of, you know, a group of songs which all have their own sort of distinct ideas and highlights that you can, you know, jump in and out of and find your moments. It's obviously one piece of music. Um, but I think it it justifies its length in that, you know, uh, it its kind of use of restraint uh, couldn't, like, uh, maybe could have been a bit shorter, but it's it's as it is 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 fine, and it allows uh, Phil Elverum to uh, employ a just kind of very deliberate uh, restraint of layering in all the elements someone might respect f- respect expect from a microphones track, and. I think it'd be very easy for an you know an artist who's kind of you know sort of returning to what was their kind of very you know exciting formative period when uh, you know they were just breaking out into the scene and they've released the albums that are to many people even though he has you know quite a solid discography really sort of uh, Mount Erie and the Globe Part Two regarded as kind of um, achievements or uh like containing a particular sound or energy that he was never quite able to match since and what i think elevates the album is it's not just kind of a return to those sounds but it's a deliberate acknowledgement of of the of that history that legacy and how that history and legacy of this this band which is really one person which is now defunct who has been making music this whole time 
you know, reckons with the idea that, you know, 20, 18, 17 years ago, he had put out these albums that uh, were in many ways very similar to everything he's put out since, but in many ways very different and have struck people a particular way and how he and the world and his music have changed and how the sounds from the past can be used to evoke that feeling and support the idea of the the kind of story or the 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 sense of 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 time passing that uh phil wants to convey and that is also sort of used as an exercise and you know a lot of his music has been very personal especially lately but for i think a much kind of more free associative you know i guess auto fiction is technically the right word it sort of works as a you know, like a, a, a miniaturized, um, you know, indie rock, quite, I mean, I think miniaturized indie rock pru, uh, in that, you know, uh, it manages to like really convey a, a painful sense of nostalgia and, uh, time through both, um, you know, the storytelling uh, and then also through the, you know, redeployment of sounds, which, you know, could have been easily kind of worked into an album of just kind of like different demos that were built out and kind of layered in with uh, stuff that sounded like the microphones records, basically. And since we because we didn't get that, and I think partially just because of my, uh, you know, my love for those albums, but also my appreciation for how. Um, with the Mount Erie albums and um, now this Phil has kind of evolved and commented on his own uh, musical legacy that uh, you know it stands as it may be not something that I'm revisiting all the time in fact it's like many you know late stage Mount Erie albums I think it's almost too painful to revisit consistently but definitely something that if um and, and really, honestly, quite frankly, something that I wouldn't really recommend unless you are quite a, a fan of his work or you're going to kind of listen to, um, you know, everything over like months or a year. Like it's not even something I think you could kind of sort of get a familiarity with his work and it would have the same impact to you. So this is very much a your mileage may vary pick, but... Uh, for kind of the the sake of honesty, it's one that that had to go in my top five. Yeah, I I think uh, you know this this is a challenging one to to review or talk about in a number of respects. You know, is it a song? Is it is it a record? We had different views on that, and yeah, I I do agree with you that like this is very much. I almost think about this like you know the the Richard Linklater before movies, and the reason I say that is only because like I remember when Before Midnight came out. And this is a digression, but like I remember when Before Midnight came out, I thought like that is the best movie that came out this year. But I also would say like that is only the best movie that came out that year if you've seen and have a connection with the other two films in the series. And I feel like this is similar both in the sense of like the lyrics and the music are very much um, refracted through our understanding as listeners about the the history of the microphones as a as a musical project and Phil Elbrum as a musician, such that, like, yes, I would agree that this is not going to have the same impact on you if you're not familiar with 
um, at the very least Mount Erie, the album, and Globe Heart 2. Um, that being said, I, I would say that, you know, even an uninitiated listener may certainly be intrigued by what's going on here, and, like, the fact that, that there is a certain level of audaciousness in, like, releasing an album that's just a 40-minute song. Um, so I do think that you would still get something out of it, but I do agree that this is one that is challenging in the sense of, like, it is uh, certainly a, an album or song that was made for fans of Phil Elvin's music who often have a very deep connection to it. And, you know, there are musical motifs that reference uh, previous records. There are lyrical moments that reference previous records um, and events in Phil Elvin's life, which we sometimes know about through his records. Um, so I do think that this is a, a challenging one in the sense of the relationship between the art, uh, the artist, and the audience. Um, and, you know, for that reason, it could either be, you know, a masterwork or deeply frustrating, depending on who you are. But I think that you, may, you make a very good case for it. I also enjoyed it immensely. Um, but I do think that this is certainly one where maybe more than other records, you know, the Your Mileage May Vary disclaimer is warranted, not just because of, like, musical style per se, but rather um, the fact that it requires this, this sort of background experience to really get fully what he is intending to do here. Um, so my number three then, um, which I guess has an echo in the sense that it's, you know, it occasionally refers to the artist's previous works, is RTJ4 by Run the Jewels. Um, so I, I guess kind of similar to Fleet Foxes, um, you know, I, I was, by, by Run the Jewels 3 in this uh, quadrilogy, I guess at this point, um, I was kind of feeling like, okay, this project has kind of run its course, there's still good songs on this record, but it seems a little bloated. Um, the 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 bangers aren't hitting quite the same way. The emotional moments seem a little forced. Um, I I my personal opinion is that Run the Jewels two is is the best of uh, of the four. Um, so I thought, okay, maybe this project is run its course. Um, this record, and I was kind of you know a bit wary of of Run the Jewels four, just in the sense of okay, what more are LP and Killer Mike really going to be able to do and be able to say on this record? But I think what they've done here is, for whatever reason, whether it's sociopolitical, whether it's um, just musical, uh, whether it's their set of collaborators that they turn to for this record, which um, includes a lot more like classic uh, hip-hop type of people. You have Biz Marquis on here, you have, uh, cute, uh, you have DJ Premier on here. Um, for whatever reason, they recaptured a lot of the raw energy that I liked about that first Run the Jewels record, but they married it to the really heavy sonic invention of the second Run the Jewels record, such that um, I think that this is a record that um, has more of a more of a classic hip-hop element to it than um, the other Run the Jewels albums, and it's maybe a little bit less sort of sci-fi-y futuristic, um, even though some of LP's production is still that way. Um, so, you know, if you're somebody that leaned a little more heavily on, on that side of the Run the Jewels sound, maybe this won't be your favorite. Um, but I just really, really enjoyed this record. Um, certainly it does, you know, have a bit of an issue in the sense of, like, it is pretty banger, banger, banger. There's a few moments where it slows relatively down, but um, there isn't a song like Crown on here, or there isn't a sound, um, you know, those kind of more emotional moments. But I think that for what they were approaching this as, which to me was attempting to reach back to the sort of classic era of hip-hop, bring that in with uh, with a bit of a futurist production, 
but really up to the minute sort of lyrical motifs and ideas. Um, for me, I, I really love this record. I thought that it has some of uh, Killer Mike and LP, who I think is you know often underrated as a rapper and lyricist in this project. Um, some of their smartest lyrics, um, some of their most direct you know political statements, but also some of their more um, interesting sort of personal um, elements to it, um, and also just really good wordplay, um, you know, talking shit type of stuff as well. Um, I guess for me, it really had the, the whole package of what I, I, what I look for in a Run the Jewels project. And it just had a sense of energy and vibrancy to it. Um, whereas I felt that on Run the Jewels 3, they seemed to be um, a bit treading water um, and kind of just playing with these sci-fi tropes and like Danger Room and all this type of thing. Um, and it just felt a little bit forced and laggard. Um, here, there's a bit less of that. It's a bit more direct, a bit less um, sort of obscured by this sort of um, uh, these sort of artifices um, and themes and it's much more um, about either you know the the political ramifications um, and you know obviously given 2020 is a year um, what they're talking about um, but also um, but also just kind of paying tribute to a lot of classic hip-hop acts um, and how that's influenced both of them through the years um, so a record that was made, I think, with a lot of love, with a lot of rage, um, but with a lot of invention um, and a lot of energy. Um, and that's why it's my number three record of the year. Yeah, well, I, I um, definitely see the case. And R2J4 is a record that, um, you know, probably wouldn't make my list, probably wouldn't list it as an honorable mention, but I, I certainly can't call it anything less than a solid record. And what makes me, I think, a bit more hesitant on it and why it, it might have fallen below records like uh, the, you know, the Billy Woods and More Mother collab or either Baldy James record or the, the Your Old Drew record for me is it, it doesn't maybe have that kind of variety or range, which is really, I mean, because if, if that's not something you're looking for, and I don't think every album has to have that, then kind of it... it could quite easily be a virtue it could quite easily be you know this is an album that you know they kind of know the vein they're going for they're you know they're old pros and they're able to you know consciously try and dial into a more stripped back straightforward um approach to building out a record but with the guests and the the kind of sonic convention that they've they've built out over the record so far and i would agree with you on what i think you know elevates it to what i'd call a good record and what I'd, I'd recommend is it kind of avoids what i would maybe a bit unfairly call the rick and morty raps that rtj was veering just slightly too close into <laughs> and while you know i'm probably you know have have no standpoint to say that about two people who are, are quite easily certified in terms of you know, the music that I'd want to listen to, it is much closer to it, and it's a record that I, I don't, you know, apart from the kind of quibbles that I've mentioned, I really don't have anything bad to say about. And my number three record is a record that I think that we we might be, you know, come to a little uh, odds about, but one that sort of steadily rose in my estimation and, and, and stayed there over the past year and a half 
and that's uh, Waxahachie's record, St. Cloud. And this is an interesting one, because I think a lot of people have commented that this, you know, it doesn't have the kind of intimacy of her, her the, lo- the lo-finess of her first two albums, or and it doesn't have the the kind of like 90s throwback, um, not so much grunge, but the kind of like alt yeah, the kind of alt rock stylings of of the, the the following two, and I think those, I mean, they're all quite solid records. But um, I think the 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 move into sort of like country and folk, but now from a more sort of hi fi and up tempo uh, approach is, you know, maybe not. It's it's maybe not. I I wouldn't want. Uh, like all singer-songwriter records or even every Waxahachie record to be kind of made uh, with those, with that palette. But for the particular kind of emotional uh, resonance that I think is driving the album, that the album is trying to convey, I think it's kind of perfect. And this is an album that I think in in sort of a much softer way than the microphones i think that it's an album that you could very easily enjoy just coming into it it's got very strong songwriting the hooks they all like crash into each other the vocal performances um the imagery but it is uh because it's coming in that legacy and because you know uh, Waxahachie's earlier records as uh, will always have them and they they capture like a very particular feeling of you know the 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 highs and lows and especially lows of being young being young in love and not you know having things maybe go the way you want but uh you know we all I, without you know getting um <laughs> too personal I think it's fair to say that we all kind of hope for our own Saint Cloud like we all hope for that moment where we've kind of we've we've stepped off the the plateau of young adulthood and into a space that we you know we feel we're flourishing into ourselves and you know who knows if that's necessarily going to last and i certainly am not trying to speculate about uh you know katie's personal life or where that direction goes but it seems like um yeah i want to say getting married but maybe not getting married but finding a long-term partner and getting sober has kind of provided this inspiration for um, a record that just kind of it, it conveys, um, you know, it conveys experience and it conveys pain, but not in a way of dwelling on it, in a way of almost kind of it's it's referencing its absence and in in in, in conveying this um, the kind of I think being a, a quintessential spring album for years to come conveying that kind of oncoming of a new season especially if you have that uh, familiarity with her previous work it kind of has that additional effect of you know not necessarily uh what it's kind of directly referencing but in its uh, ability through like a very kind of stripped back uh but still kind of like finely detailed uh, sort of folk and country inspired singer songwriter indie uh you know you might call it it um it's able to become something really else and special and that's you know i think it's an album that i i don't you know care to say whether it's her best i think it might on a track by track basis not 
uh, measure up to Cerulean Salt, which is, you know, quite a special album. But I, I think it definitely is the album post that that has seemed like um, has has kind of come closest to that uh, in term, album in terms of consistency of songwriting. And then but but it um, it has that feeling of uh, progression of forward momentum and of maturation that you know it um i i i don't know i i think i couldn't uh could not uh recommend a singer songwriter album uh higher and i i hope people go out and listen to it i think this is an interesting one if in the sense that like so i have a lot of feelings on this record and i'll, I'll try to be relatively brief so I, by no means do I think it's a bad record. I think it's a very much, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Katie Clutchfield personally. Um, it's definitely an album that is about, as you say, we both about, um, you know, changes, about positive um, life events, and kind of moving out of this sense of like, as you say, almost wallowing in this sort of pain and directionlessness um, that I, I would... I mean, certainly, yeah, like, Cerulean Salt, which, you know, for, for a sense of full disclosure for how much I like that record, there was a point um, where I, I was working at a job that uh, was, was very boring, um, and I had very little to do, um, and what I would do while I was, you know, quote-unquote working, was I would just listen to that on a loop um, for basically the entire day, for, and that I did that for about three months. Um, so, j that's just to say, like, Cerulean Salt, particularly, but also her other records, um, American Weekend, her debut, um, uh, Ivy Trip, Out in the Storm, um, all all uh, solid records in different ways. Um, but I do think it's it's correct to say that uh, that this record is very much a record where both sonically and lyrically she's moving much more in a classicist singer songwriter. Um, you know, there, there was some inane article that I read um, at one point, um, and it was around the time of Cerulean Salt, where somebody, and, and I, I don't know if the writer was being facetious or not, but described um, Katie Clutchfield as, quote, Lena Dunham with a guitar, um, which, you know, is, is kind of bad, but I do think, like, speaks to where that was, that music she was doing was being interpreted as, like, in, in a cultural context with. And it was certainly... Um, about being kind of like directionless and young and making s stupid mistakes um, and blaming yourself for them and that type of thing. And I think that, you know, that spoke to me at a particular point in my life. I think it spoke to a lot of people at a particular point in their life. Um, I do think that because she is moving in this much brighter sonic palette direction, this is less of a like late night turn the lights down type of record and more of a um it is very bright sunny um i think that there's something that's been lost for me in terms of emotional resonance um but on the other hand maybe i'm just a depressive person as you will uh see from the next two picks on my list um and perhaps you know others have have moved into that very distinct slot in the uh in the uh the, the pantheon of musical characters um but all that being said um, I do think this is a very good record, um, one that I have played a, a number of times, um, even though initially I was kind of disappointed with it, only in the sense of it did seem to lack that intimacy. 
I think that what I realized is that this is intimacy and um, force and disclosure, but in a different way than we're used to hearing from Waxahachie. And I think that is probably going to throw you off if, you, if you've been a fan of her previously. I would be very interested to see the reactions of people that haven't really super been familiar with her work to this record, because they might even like it more, to be honest with you, because it is very self-disclosing. Um, it almost has, and I, and I mean this in the, in the nicest possible way, like, it almost has sort of, like, Carol King tapestry type of vibes to it at a certain time of that kind of, like, or, or like, Lucinda Williams' Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, um, this kind of, like, uh, low, late, you know, summer-spring type of vibe, conversational lyrics um, that are very direct about emotional experiences, but not, like, painful, cutting emotional experiences, but, like, you know, often positive ones or ones that are just interesting. And all that to say, um, I think this is a record that may defy people's expectations about what they want from a Waxahachie record. And for me personally, um, the sonic turn it took away from that sort of intimacy kind of off-put me. Um, so that's why it's not on my list. But I do think that whether you've been a fan of her previously or, you know, you're just hearing about her recently because she is getting a little bit more uh, airplay, um... I would, you know, I think this is a good record. I would encourage people to check out her back catalog. Um, and I think that the way you react to this record is very much <coughs> based on... I, I, I think this is true about Waxahachie's <coughs> music in general. is very much based on where you are emotionally vis-a-vis -vis where the record is emotionally, but also, um, you know, what your expectations are of, of her as an artist. And, you know, I think artists... Uh, Artists, I think, can deliver the record they want to make and the record they need to make, not necessarily the one that their that their previous audience wants them to make. And as you say, I don't really actually think it's healthy either from a personal or an artistic uh, perspective to like dwell on something, even if it's the the kind of thing that's made you famous and beloved. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's um, it's a record that I had some difficulties with, but one that I ultimately um did feel is is a worthwhile project. Okay, so. Well, I guess speaking of speaking of wallowing in your emotional pain, um, so uh, my number two is Color Theory by by Soccer Mommy. Um, so I, I I think you know I did talk about this in the half year list. Um, you know there, there's not going to be a lot of surprises from here on. Um, I think you know what I really liked about this record, particularly when I went back and kept listening to it, was you know Soccer Mommy's debut, Clean, um, a very solid record that had a lot of great tracks on it but did suffer from a certain lack of consistency. I think the high points on that record are very high, and then there's some kind of middling um, tracks on there. Uh, Color Theory, to me, felt much more both sonically um, and, and lyrically, I think, uh, unified and much more um, of a piece and much more um, like it was directed as a whole album as opposed to being a collection of kind of variant tracks. Um, here, you have a much fuller band type sort of sound, you have a much uh, stronger sense of, you know, sonic invention. There's a lot of interesting sort of uh, electronic details at the edges. There's a lot of, like, interesting sort of mic flagging and, like, interesting ways that her voice is sort of manipulated throughout the tracks in order to give a sense of um, space, um, be it, you know, her being further removed from the listener or more up close. Um, and I think that that really adds to the sort of lyrical motifs that she's talking about, which... You know, I think they're certainly less direct than the debut, which was almost like, you know, diary entries at certain points, like talking about very specific situations. 
Um, this is a little bit more abstract and a little bit more um, kind of about the, the feelings around situations and the um, sort of abstract lyrical portrayals about um, different types of relationships um, that uh, a person can be in or different sorts of tensions that occur in relationships. Um, so I felt that this record really hung together very well. Um, I think it's unified by her voice, both you know in terms of her vocal performances, which are really strong throughout the record, uh, but also her voice as a as a lyricist and songwriter who I think is doing consistently um, innovative things with the form, um, and I think is certainly pushing herself beyond what were some fairly you know straightforward if very well written songs on the debut. Here they're much more elongated. There's interesting bridges and turns that they take that aren't aren't fully expected. Um, yeah, I really like the record. Um, think it's very good, um, and I would even say great um, for for certain portions of it. And I think that what what set it apart um, for me was just the sense that um, she has that there's um, a real um, there's a real bracing directness to it, and there's a real um, almost like an intensity, but not in an aggressive sort of way, but an intensity in the sense of the, the way the emotions are being portrayed on the record um, feels very um, direct, authentic. Um, and what I appreciated about those early Watsuhachi records, I get a similar sort of energy from this. Um, yeah, so Color Theory by Soccer Raleigh, my number two. Yeah, Color Theory is an album that I thought was, it was quite a solid step forward from uh, the debut. Clean. No, I just didn't. I couldn't remember if it was the debut or well, if there was one before then. Yeah, there's an unsigned. Uh, okay, but Clean's the 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 studio label debut. Okay. Well, anyway, I did I did enjoy Color Theory more than Clean. Uh, it's an album that uh, you know probably wouldn't make my list or you know be on the cusp. I think more than anything else because uh, it it does like you said i think it kind of marries that you know directness of songwriting with a more sort of expansive and uh almost you know classic at this point uh indie more maybe more alt rock palette and i think on that basis as you know as as a as a development of the soccer mommy sound it's quite a solid record and if you like the first one you should go out and listen to it and um you should certainly go listen to it if you're kind of struck by uh, the very good job that you're just selling it. However, I think uh, for me, it kind of lacks even an album like uh, Waxahachi, St. Cloud, which maybe has a certain amount of simplicity. It, you know, in kind of leaning into that folk and country uh, vibe, it kind of, it, it, it kind of appears more as it's sort of its own, its own entity, its own slab, which, you know, could play better or play worse, but it was maybe, I thought Color Theory, even though it takes more chances with songwriting, um, the albums that, uh, you know, I really gravitate towards have maybe a more, a like, cohesive and adventurous uh, approach to, you know, arrangement and, and sonic palette, which is really just the kind of... Um, which which can sometimes not that it necessarily has to be diverse, but that an album, uh, which like the the one I'll get to next, maybe uh, for me, and this maybe just speaks to you know where our our tastes you know kind of diverge the most, uh, an album that 
is sort of able to elevate itself through that that more um, kind of out there or more cohesive uh, palette. Whereas I think there's a certain uh, I, I think calling it functional is definitely sort of damning with faint praise, but certainly, um, yeah, it just sort of it 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 lacked that um, that kind of presence of vibes for the albums that really sort of rise to the cream of the crop for me. But uh, certainly, uh, doesn't mean it's not a solid album, and, and certainly one that I would recommend to people who are interested in that kind of music. Final final note: um, there is also a track that she put out a couple weeks ago, which um, sounds like one of her songs being thread fed through a paper shredder and then sort of like reconstructed. Um, and it's called Rom Com Two Thousand Four. So I don't know if you if you're into that, uh, uh, check that one out as well. Um, so you're number two then. Uh. Yeah, my number two is an album that unfortunately is a bit. Um... It's a bit more difficult to find. It's another uh, Bandcamp only, but um, it uh, certainly it. I think it it had quite a bit of an impact when it uh, came out earlier in the year. So for people who remember our half year, the last two should be no surprise. And that's the album is peaceful as hell, and the the band of course is Black Dresses. And this is an interesting album for me because it's an album that. You know, by all rights, it could be, you know, sixth or, or seventh or ninth quite easily on this list because, number one, I think all the albums are, are quite good. But number two, because it's like the microphones again, you know, something that I, I definitely even listen to less than, say, the Nicholas Jar record or the Eve's Tumor record or the Fleet Foxes record. But I think that in terms of being an album of 2020, in terms of sort of marrying a kind of lo-fi industrial synth pop sort of bass which is certainly not unique on Bandcamp but I think that uh, Black Dresses bring what really elevates I think most of the, the bands on our list which is you know a consistency of songwriting and with that a, like a particular a particularly visceral emotional presence and um yeah, peaceful as hell. I mean, it kind of it is what it says on the label. Like it is a, uh, it's sort of it's being like attacked by radical positivity and empathy is sort of the experience of that album. Like you have, um, you know, kind of harsh industrial tones, modular synths, and kind of like almost screamo influenced vocals, but. Um, uh, sort of in it's similar to a lot of modern post-hardcore bands you have the you know themes of uh, of trauma of uh, you know of, of dysmorphia of uh, you know alienation from society and anxiety about the future uh, channeled you know sort of very directly with very little very little poetry or imagery but um it without the kind of the the instrumental behind it feeling affected or feel like a, a band who's just kind of hopping on the idea of making everything sucks music it's it's much harder to instead make an album that makes you kind of it, it makes you genuinely conveys feelings of despair feelings of anger feelings of uncertainty about the future but it it isn't morose it isn't nihilistic and it comes across as sort of a very personal, uh, a very personal work of two people who certainly have not um, 
they are trying to still inspire something within the listener. So um, I think it, it kind of elevates itself beyond the other albums in my list because I think it really, um, it, it, it kind of, it stands um, alone uh, in its kind of particular lane of kind of more lo-fi abrasive band camp bedroom pop albums and uh, really grasp like sort of grab by the throat the the feeling of, of being alive in 2020 and uh, on that basis I, I think it that's what kind of um, uh, brings it to uh, its its very higher position yeah um, this is certainly a, an album that is as you put it, very unique um, and very singular in its musical approach, I would say. I mean, they are part of, um, well, all were, it, it's kind of unclear if black dresses are still together or not or what exactly is happening. Anyway, um, all were whatever. They are part of, you know, a similar sort of like hyper, like glitch pop or whatever they're, they're calling it these days. But I'll put it this way. They've had several other songs remixed by 100 Gags. So, like that scene. But... As you say, like the vocals and the, and also I think the fact that like the lyrical subject matter is much more about, as you say, feelings of like dysmorphia, um, about social rejection, and not just kind of like weird fuckery. Like there is certainly a much more of an actual point to this and an actual like um, emotional context that the very strange sonic environment is like trying to convey. Um, for me personally, I I appreciated what they were going for. I could not make heads or tails of it. Um, this is very much a like uh, very much your mileage may vary sort of pick. Um, you know, if if this is what the you know uh, in in, in two thousand you know fifty nine, if this is what we're all dancing to, then you know perhaps we we have survived um, as a society. I I will uh, I will leave that up to you, the listener, to to determine. Um, I will just say that it did have we didn't do I think. Um, the uh, the song title of the year, uh, but I think this did have a contender um, in the sense of there was a track on the record called uh, Maybe This World Is Another Planet's Hell, um, which, you know, there's something to that. Um, also, uh, their previous record, just for the record, was uh, called Love and Affection for Stupid Little Bitches, which, you know, uh, maybe a bit more uh, direct and confrontational on, on that front, um, but Peaceful as Hell, um, an album that, you know, I think is, as I say, very singular you're never going to hear, well, I wouldn't say never going to hear another record like this, because obviously Black Dresses have other records, but you're not going to hear a record like this um, anytime soon, and uh, unless it's, you know, also another Black Dresses record, I suppose. So if you're willing to, to listen to something that is very, you know, I keep using the word singular, but I I'll guess I'll just keep using it. If you, if you are willing to listen to something that is certainly very one-of-a-kind, um, and not like any of the other records on this list, or maybe any other record in your collection, um, unless you happen to be, you know, really into like, uh, and, and actually, you know, what it, what it really made me think of when I was listening to it was like, the way people must have felt when like, Suicide first came out, and like, you know, what is this, this is two guys, like, one of them's banging on a piano, one of them's like, yelling into the microphone, like, but then, you know, they made ba Dream Baby Dream, and like, that's one of the greatest songs of all time, so like, you know, th there's something here, um, and maybe I'm just too old to get it at this point, is, is what I'm saying. 
You feel like it seemed like you have something more to say. I think. Oh, I was gonna say I think the suicide comparison is good, and I think that if I had to uh, give a, a last minute entry to song title of the year, it's the uh, the Clarence Clarity track. Uh, I'm a doomer, baby. So why don't you heal me? Mm, that's good. That's good too. Anyway, um, so speaking of I don't know being a, a doomer, I, I guess. Um, so my number one record, which uh, you know, no surprises from the from the uh, mid year list, is Punisher by Phoebe Bridgers. Um, I'm not going to dwell on this too long because I did speak at length during the, the mid-year list. You can go back and listen to that if you'd like. Um, but what I will say about the record having, you know, and why it endured for me um, over the course of the year is just a sense of, like, in the sort of longing and moroseness with which she tackles certain topics on this record, um, be it, you know, friendships, be it fraying uh, romantic relationships, be it, like, addiction issues, be it... Um, just this sort of general sense of dislocation. Um, I really felt that the record was very uniquely positioned for the year in which it came out. Um, it had, even though it's you know not directly referencing anything, obviously, it has this sense of like longing for the past, but recognizing that you can never go back to it, um, which I think just really sort of hit me um, emotionally, maybe in a way that was not necessarily intended, uh, but certainly. Um, certainly, you know, cranked it up to me. And I think, you know, comparing it to her previous record, which was also very good and which I didn't um, really listen to when it came out, I must confess. So I really got exposed to Phoebe Bridgers mainly through her collaborative projects of Boy Genius, Better Oblivion Community Center, which was uh, my favorite record of, of the year that that came out. Um, what I think I, I really appreciate about her is both the lyrical directness, but also the sense of, like, the sense in which her voice really inhabits the sonic space and the fact that she really commits to these different sort of environments in which to place herself um, in order to find the right context to deliver the lyrics and to deliver um, what she's trying to convey. And I think throughout this record, whether it's, you know, a song like uh, Kyoto, where it is, um, you know, kind of relatively um, upbeat and chipper, um, she's kind of singing about, you know, walking around uh, Kyoto, um, and having this kind of strange sort of out-of-body experience um, and not wanting to be there and wanting to be back home, um, but, you know, trying to embrace the moment um, type of thing. Or whether it's, you know, these songs of longing like Chinese Satellite or Halloween, um, where, where she's really kind of like, um, kind of almost raising these existential questions about, um, you know, the, the loss and longing that come with, um, that come with aging. I really do feel that the record just um, hit a certain emotional tenor for me. Um, and, you know, beyond that, I think the, the sonically it's great. Um, much uh, much more expansive sonic palette than her uh, debut record. Um, her debut record, Stranger in the Alps, which is a very good record, um, certainly is much more within a kind of folk, country, a little bit of rock idiom. Um, this is feels much more singular and much more like its own thing in terms of its approach. There's um, little elements of classical that kind of um, reached a bit further ahead on the um, EP that she did, uh, remixing the record, which I talked about uh, a couple of episodes ago. Um, I just really love this record, and I think that it really um, spoke to me anyway, um, maybe not in a direct way, but it really spoke to me um, of the feelings that I was having this past year. Um, and, you know, as we hopefully enter a, a bit better of a situation, um, uh, this year, um, I think that uh, it definitely causes me to reflect on, you know, what uh, what made um, it such a singular record for me, and I think it was the 
directness and the boldness, uh, both musically and lyrically, that she tackled this subject matter with. Um, so for all those reasons, my favorite album of 2020, Punisher by Fee. Yeah, it's certainly, I think, a uh, a very strong choice and an album that, you know, uh, I, I think, and I think I said this on the episode, would have been an honorable mention for me, would have come in somewhere around 12 or 13 there were, you know, artists that I have maybe more of an affinity towards or whose albums were maybe a bit more out there that uh, ended up getting my nods, but certainly a very strong record. And and uh, I think, you know, along with Waxahachie and in many ways exceeding it, like really a, a, a an achievement of a singer-songwriter record and, and one that would have be one of the stronger albums of the year whichever year it came out um and yeah i mean we've we've said a lot about it i think it's good i think people should go listen to it and i think that about uh, my album of the year which i think is in many ways excels along similar lines but is a different album and that is the perfume genius album set my heart on fire immediately and this is an album that I think it happens, you know, sometimes it's none, sometimes it's once a year, sometimes it's four or five, but you you listen to an LP, I guess you don't put it on anymore, you you know, you um, you download it on your little streaming app, and, you know, with each song and with each kind of, um, you know, instrumental arrangement, it kind of seems just so. Like, even it might not necessarily be perfect, it might not be the most adventurous, but all the individual elements seem so considered and so thoughtfully arranged that, you know, there's always sort of a new moment or a new sound that um, builds out the the world that the project's creating, but at the same time, the on a track-by-track basis, the individual songs are very strong and kind of stand on their own. And what I would really kind of say about this record is, more than anything else for me this year, it kind of stood as an album where each song is like its own little bubble universe that you can kind of get lost in. Uh, They all kind of feel distinct. They all feel fully fleshed out. And the way that the album kind of mixes, it's it's sort of its, its themes of fragility and strength, aging and, and sort of um, maturing with uh you know your yourself and your romantic life it's able to convey those i think very strongly with its musical choices but it's always sort of very restrained like with the disco groove on on the floor or the the kind of distorted guitar being you know plugged straight into the console um you know kind of um or just sort of maybe not that but mixed very aggressively and describe that these these sort of emotional notes or themes are, are are able to be hit on with quite a degree of subtlety and care. So the whole album just feels very effortless. It feels like this this kind of um, multifaceted, maybe not you know say cinematic, but this um, this kind of story unfolding. Although it's not necessarily narrative, but more an experience of you know of of emotion and of um of uh, and of groove and i think i've i've you know the knock against it might be that it's a bit too disjointed and that it's it's sort of trying to force together like kind of very 
sort of minimalist vocal-led ballads with with groovy tracks with you know heavier ballads and I can certainly see that argument but I think for me it was the kind of movement from the like the kind of art pop almost like flirting with chamber pop and neoclassical to um, something that's including you know like disco electronica indie rock uh, it, it really it kind of feels like uh, when using that word uh, wearing it out but singular a, a really singular record and one that I think stands as a career highlight for you know certainly one of the more acclaimed artists of the 2010s and one who I might not have really connected with any of their albums uh, before like this one uh, and I, I think that some on that basis then if you maybe you've listened to perfume genius you know you listen to learning or queen or you heard no shape and you said this is i get it um <laughs> you know you say oh i get it it's good okay but it, it didn't really it didn't work into one of your favorites or it didn't um you know it, it didn't kind of elevate itself to you on that level i would still absolutely listen to this i'm i'm you know clearly uh, head over heels for it, and it 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 hasn't really lost its luster to me. And uh, I definitely think it's an album that people who are interested in hearing um, music that you know it it doesn't uh, it has its restraint. It's not just throwing shit at the wall, but it's also um, just kind of extends in all directions. And it seems to have the like just the kind of particular articulation that the artist wanted and uh it's you know built out uh very kind of richly and uh really and i said this before but it really does kind of feel like it's like a, a an album of you know 12 or 13 you know just kind of little bubble universes so um tons of good things to say about it i could keep talking about it but uh i think I've uh, said enough, and and uh, we've really kind of kept things in line today. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I I don't have too much to add to that. Um, obviously, it's not on my list. Um, so I I guess have chest by why not? Um, I I really like the record. I it is my favorite Perfume Genius record so far. Um, I think that its marriage of you know the lyrical themes um, of you know like Perfume Genius has often been about like queer identity. Um, and, you know, um, and homage to the kind of queer spaces of the 70s and 80s um, that he has done uh, for quite a while, you know, is certainly very well suited to what he's doing in the sense of, like, creating these sort of self-contained sonic universes that um, have a lot of layers to them, have a lot of different elements and influences. Um, I guess, to me, the reason it doesn't quite make my list is simply, as you say, that it does feel more like a collection of songs than a full, um, a fully notated album. Um, you may also hear some church bells in the background right now. I apologize. Um, clearly judging me for, for, for talking about this record, I suppose. Um, anyway, um, I guess, you know, my, my, my sort of glib take on this is, you know, my, uh, maybe I prefer my queer themes digested into like a, you know, like Springsteen and punk rock as, as, uh, Teenage Halloween has done, but um, I think if, you know, I, I will say certainly that if you've kind of been a bit lukewarm on Perfume Genius before, 
Um, and his music certainly has been like more abstract before here. We are much more moving in an art pop direction with an emphasis on that pop appeal. Um, I certainly think that this is a, a record that could uh, convert you um, on him. Um, and I, I don't have a lot bad to say about it. Um, it just did feel a little bit disjointed at times. Um, but beyond that, um, a very a very solid choice for your number one. So with that, we have finally completed this project. Uh, it is now uh, July 24th, uh, 2021. I guess we now have to eventually do a half-year list for 2021, but we'll leave that to another day. Um, thank you so much, Isaac, for, for being on uh, with me and continuing this uh, this project. Um, I, I assume somebody's getting married uh, as you uh, you can you know, hopefully not hear those bells, but I can certainly hear them. Isaac can certainly hear them. Um, do you have any, any final things to add, uh, Isaac? No. Well, I think, thankfully, our new, our new uh, somewhat professional setup at least I'm not I'm not getting uh, noise from the bell, so I think people have to take our word for it. And just that um, there are tons of albums that I'm excited to talk about for 2021. Yeah. Um, music didn't end, uh, you know. As as we often sign off, uh, it's hell, but all your favorite artists are putting out new music. There you go. Well, I think if 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 there's one thing that was true about 2020, it is. It is that statement of it's hell, but all your artists are putting out all your favorite artists are putting out music. Well, the church bells have stopped. I think that's the signal for us to sign off. Uh, my name is Carter Vandross. As always, our email is thefirstcode uh, at gmail.com. Our blog, thefirstcode.blogspot.com. We will link to everything we talked about in the show today. Hope you'll join us for uh, our you know, upcoming uh, episode on uh, Half Year of Music in 2021. Uh, and once again, I thank you for listening, and I wish you a pleasant day.